the thing that we, you know, like where I'm doing acupuncture, hypnotherapy or SE or the other stuff that I do, the thing I'm looking at and wondering about is who does this person love most in the world? I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. We recently got two cats, and my mental health has taken a decided turn for the better curious how it's possible not to notice a burdened sense of sadness or stagnation until it begins to lift. Laughter is good medicine, and there's been more of that with the antics of two young cats. Less time with attending to the ever-present comments that I call thinking, as there are these oasis moments of watching life and nature unfold by noticing how cats are so vastly different from humans. And I take a lesson from them that you should Play when it's time to play, sleep when it's time to sleep, sit with liquid, quiet stillness, and speak up when you're hungry. I found it helpful to have, mm, I was going to say distraction, but really it's the reminder to pause from time to time, to let go of the infinity scroll of the to-do list, let the present moment with its winter morning light illuminating the leafless trees to remind me of the quiet change of season. We're coming up to the Chunjie, the spring festival, the Chinese New Year, that moment in the deep of winter when life, even in its deep slumber under the Midwest snow, turns a corner and begins the next cycle of emergence and flourishing. Celebrating the turn towards spring when all signs of that season are invisible is a ridiculous amount of optimism. Those with a perchance for the observable fact would call it delusional, and yet, Those who know something of the cycles of change know that what is unseen and yet moving carries the tidal powers of change and transformation. It's not so different from the work in our clinic. A few well-placed pins that help to coax along something that is not yet manifest but carries the potential to be so. It seems like magic, but just like those who know the movements of earth and stars can predict the changes of season and eclipses, Perspective is a kind of medicine that can help us through the present moment. So, yes, I'm grateful that we have cats. Watching an animal looking out into the bright winter morning and watching nature is one of the better lessons I've had on meditation. And to remember that events that are out of my control are indeed out of my hands. But within that domain where I have sovereignty to do the work that's mine to do. As we turn into the year of the ox, I hope that you too find a reliable grounding for your days, hearty, challenging work that brings you meaning, and some stillness and grace to appreciate those moments as they arise. Xin nian kuai le, everybody. Happy Chinese New Year. We acquire a new language in the process of learning East Asian medicine. New words that describe processes and perspectives, we learn to see and move differently in the world with these new maps that help us to better understand illness and health. Language allows us to understand others, and if we learn to listen closely enough, we can discern what inner resources our patients have access to and which ones they don't. What's more, the way that we speak with our patients can help them to open up possibilities or lock them further out of reach. In a moment, we're going to get into a conversation with Randy Clare on the power and the use of language. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. 
Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of the solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. There's a lot more to language than words. Let's sit down for a cup of tea with Randy Clare 
get into this. Randy Clare, welcome to Geological. Greetings, and thank you for having me. I'm delighted. We're here today to talk about talking. Yes, which I'm quite adept at. You know, I think most of us, in some ways, we are adept because it's just the nature of human beings to use language. Uh, And yet, one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that language can be used to create incredible connection, and it can be used to create incredible disconnection. As curses, hexes, things like that. And blessings. And blessings, yes, 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 yes. How you language yourself maps out your your world. Yes, we're going to get into that in a moment. But before we do, I've got a couple questions for you. Yes. I know you've been at this a long time. I don't know how long, but I've been at it for 20 plus years. And I remember being in school and, you know, we hear about this Randy Clare character who'd already <laughs> been at it a long time. Yes, and he's he's a, he's a legend in his own mind. Well, he's 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 an interesting character. You're like a big dude. You got big meaty paws. You play the bass guitar for Christ's sake. Like I ride Harley's. Way. And you ride right. Harley's big loud ones. And and yet you do this like ginky little super soft, you know, chi- uh, Japanese acupuncture. How does that work? I mean, if someone were to look at you, they go. That guy's more like a sumo wrestler than a Japanese <laughs> acupuncturist. <laughs> well, thank you for the compliments. Uh, <laughs> no, um, that's a good question. You know, I, uh, you know, like like playing the electric bass. You know, I've been okay. I've been practicing alternative medicine for over forty years, and um, you know, playing bass, doing martial arts, uh, things that I do with my hands. Now I have I do have big hands. And to be honest with you, and I'm I'm not comparing myself to Fukushima, but he made a statement once that he was rather clumsy, but yet he got the job done. You know, like Stephen Brown said to me once a long time ago, and I, this is really funny. He says, Well, your technique needs to be working worked on, but you've got big chi and intention, so that'll do. <laughs> So I've, I've honed my um, skills, my palpatory skills to a good level. And like I say, I, I spend a lot of time working with my intention, either doing uh, Qigong, Tai Chi ruler. Everything that I do in my um, personal practice comes into the treatment room. So doing Zazen or Qigong, uh, playing the bass, cooking, all of those things come into the treatment room. And so for my own self, my practices, uh, you know, where I'm just, I want, I'm always seeking to polish the self to strip away layers, even here at 67 years old. It's like everything that I do in my private um, personal practices, as far as Qigong meditation, and play in the bass. Everything is a tool for my self mastery, mm-hmm. right? Well, and I mean, it makes sense to me that we bring who we are into our treatment rooms. 
whether we're doing that consciously or unconsciously, whether we have practices that support our practice or distractions that maybe take away from our practice, you know, we're the ones showing up in our, in our treatment rooms. For our but patients. what's, what's really important and that I think that us, we older practitioners came into the stream of the medicine a lot differently than a lot of the younger practitioners do today. Well, it's a whole different, a whole different uh, approach. I mean, I've talked to some older practitioners, well, let me say seasoned practitioners, mm -hmm. you know, and like back then it was like, oh, look, I found a book on acupuncture. Wow. How cool. And these books you can find, you know, these days you can find hundreds of books on acupuncture. Yeah. Not a weird thing. But see the, the, the coming in through the door of tradition and having, uh, mentors and teachers in particular i come in through the martial arts right and so that's a whole different deal where the medicine comes from but this aspect of i'm going to use the word man making but i mean i mean person making okay man making what does that mean what does it mean for me to be a fully awake and aware human being so that whoever comes before me and sits before me, I can be empty enough and have enough empathy and know my own suffering that I can provide a safe container for them and on an unconscious level have their have have their uh unconscious mind say, oh, he gets me, he understands me, which builds rapport. You have rapport you have vulnerability. If you have vulnerability, then you get good, clear communication and information. And it's, I know that it takes some time. I think about sitting with certain patients, uh, especially like in a first office call. And we'll be talking and they start to reveal some aspects of themselves. And, and sometimes something will sort of ping in me and I'll go, oh, I think there's something here. But I don't want to go too deep into it at this moment. I want to be respectful of uh, something that might be here. How is going into it not being respectful? Well, I, I think sometimes people have certain, well, two things. One, I think sometimes people have certain kinds of trauma and there needs to be a, an experience of trust. Oh, of course. That's, yeah, of course. Okay. So, and I think that just sometimes takes a little bit of time. Like, you know, like, 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 like a good whiskey, you got to season it, you know, <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. You got to give it a little bit of time. I don't know how much time it takes when someone walks through my door and they're in the domain of my clinic and I'm sitting there receiving them. Let me just tell you, you know, what I do is, you know, I make tea. I have really good tea. I do gong fu tea for everybody who comes in, regardless, first time office call or if you've seen me a dozen times. I make tea. There, it, the act of making tea in that way serves a bunch of purposes. I, I started doing it to build rapport, right? And as I'm doing that, they start to... They're watching what I'm doing. They're paying attention, and I'm speaking to them. They're speaking to me. I start to mirror them. I start to hear what how they language themselves. Are they kinesthetic? Are they an audio? Do they are they visual? By certain questions I ask, and then I start to tailor my language and my breath to who and where they are, and then I give them. I offer them tea, 
And that's that's how the dance starts. And that, that happens with every person I see. I mean, that's just what I do because you can it it builds basically it just builds rapport and people feel given to and they're experiencing something new. And so they're like that engages their curiosity. Well, who is this? What is this? Because I mean, as acupuncturists, you know, like doctors, acupuncture, whoever, whoever we are in this position, people, there's a unconscious connotation that oh, this is the seat of power. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so people will come in with some kind of um, respect or reverence, or hopefully curiosity. Hopefully curiosity, and sometimes a certain amount of resistance. Or I don't know. Mm, I. I don't know. I don't. I don't think in those terms. I don't think about resistance or not resistance, uh, because when you put that, when you when you put that, or if 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 I if if I would say, oh, this person's being resistant, that's my stuff. So, like, if someone, like in hypnotherapy, if someone is not able to access a generative trance state, it's not that they're resistive. It's just that I'm missing something about their inner landscape that. I'm not getting. Agreed. And Absolutely so, agreed. Yeah. And so engaging that curiosity. And so, you know, I have, uh, I do employ NLP, neurolinguistic programming. It's, it's, when I say employ, I seek to embody. Because if NLP and neurolinguistic programming done poorly, someone comes away feeling like, oh, I've been manipulated. Or, mm-hmm. oh, somebody, they, they did this to me. It shouldn't be that way. It's that even just like as with our medicine, we should embody the work that we do. We should embody how we do an enshin or shoni shin. We should embody when we touch someone, we join with them. We're not touching them. We're joining them. Mm-hmm. And so I seek to join them in their inner landscape through language initially. So when I said resistance a moment ago, when I go a little further into what was underneath that, it, it's more a thing about expectation. Like, I hope this person can help me, and I hope that I'm not going to have to make too many changes or, or have my life be inconvenienced in some way to get the help that I'm hoping to get. I don't hold those thoughts. I don't think about that. I don't mm-hmm. even – whoever is before me is before me. If they have those things going on, that's their stuff. That's not my business. Mm. See, that way I don't have that, you know, that's, that's, that's outside my domain. That that's, we'll talk about stoicism later, but that's their business. If they're holding those thoughts, they'll express that at some point when someone comes in, you know, and I start to, after we have our tea and we, you know, it starts with the casual conversation. I say, well, so how are you today? What's, what was a bright spot in your day today or when in, the, when in the last week did you do something where you felt joyful? These are the questions I ask because I'm pointing them toward pleasure. I'm pointing you, them to You start with that. You start with, tell me something uh, delightful about your life. Yeah. Or, or what is your, where do you, where do you, where do you get your joy or where do you receive your wisdom from? You know, and mm-hmm. I'm. You know, see, so you've been, well, you haven't, you've been to my clinics, you know, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of East Asian stuff and whatnot around. I have several evangelicals who come to see me. 
and I sit and talk the Bible and Jesus with them, and we pray for the before the session because I'm utilizing their map of the world. That allows me to enter with respect their inner landscape, right? And so, and 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 they're pretty open to hear what I got to say about Buddhism or you know hedonism or whatever. <laughs> well, if, if you've entered, if you're using their map, and you're treading a territory that they call familiar. I would suspect that brings up feelings of safety. It brings up feelings of connection. Yes. And so if you have something to say about Buddhism that connects with their fundamental Christianity, well, we're doing this from the foundation of Christianity. So yeah, tell me something about it. When you're working inside someone's landscape, uh, you're just there, right? It's like being home. And I'm curious. And see, that's the other thing. If you approach someone with curiosity, mm-hmm. the doors will open much easier than going, well, why did you do that? So in neurolinguistic programming, NLP, there's a thing called the meta model. And I'm not going to get into the big aspect and picture of it. But one aspect that I use in questioning is how, what, when, or where. And in some cases I'll use the question why, but rarely. And do you understand why? <laughs> well, you know, why is generally like, why'd you do that? Stupid. It's usually accusatory. Most people. It's accusatory. It'll provoke defensiveness. Mm-hmm. Now, when I went, when I will use it is when I want to hear a story. That is when I'll use it. Cause you know, a lot of NLP people really poo-poo the f- using why they don't want they won't go they don't go anywhere near it. But it's useful in some cases, and you know, and so like when I'm working with someone, I say, "Well, how would you how would you like your experience to be? How would you like to see yourself, or how would you like to be in the future? How? Yeah, that that seems like would open up a tremendous amount." All of those questions, how, what, when, or where, it engages a person's self-reflexivity. So they go inside and they, they, they're able to reflect. When I do this, when I'm doing hypnotherapy and I use certain questions, it allows them to go inside and I can suss out what their strategy is for addiction. I can suss out their strategy for a behavior that's not useful to them anymore. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about that. A strategy for addiction. I don't know what that means. How do they do what they do? So I had someone, um, and and so, you know, I, I was fortunate to study with uh, Dr. Stephen Gilligan, who was one of Milton Erickson's students. And he was from the, he, he was hanging, he was hanging with, uh, uh, Grinder and uh, Richard Bandler and uh, Bateson, all those guys down in California when the humanistic psychology movement was coming about, he was there and he was one of Milton's students. And so I was real fortunate to study with him, uh, study uh, the Mil- more of the Milton uh, Erickson style of hypnotherapy, which is being specifically vague and vaguely specific. Yeah. And so someone's strategy, how they do what they do. If you can enter, if you can interrupt their strategy, you can put a dent in that whole addictive thing. When someone, 
when someone has an addiction, they're not present to themselves. And if you're not present to yourself, you really risk being inhabited by aliens, the aliens of self-abuse, the aliens of rage, you know, things like that. That's what we talk about. So the thing is, is when you start to bring presence into that, then you get options. See, my whole thing is to, if I can give someone more options, they're always going to make a better choice. If they know what they are. If they know what their options are. A lot of times they know they have options. Engaging with the unconscious mind through a trance state. And, you know, the type of hypnotherapy I do is not the authoritarian type. Some people need that, and I'll use it. But it's more like a waltz. It's like like the tango where you're leading. I pace someone with language and breath. As I pace them, I'm giving them suggestions. Do you remember a time when? Do you remember a time when you were connected to something far bigger than yourself? So you can now just settle in and settle down and start to feel comfortable. You know, I'm talking to them that way in a cadence. And when I'm speaking in that certain way, when I want them to pay attention to something, I mark it out with tonality. So I may say, well, you're sitting there listening to me here, talking to you there. That kind of confuses the mind a bit. And so I said, and I'm just curious right now, what it feels like to sit in that chair with those arms and those hands resting there by themselves. That, that language right there, it's like sitting there in that chair, yes, resting those arms on the chair and those hands resting heavy all by themselves. I've just suggested that their hands are just going to set up me doing catalepsy where now as you relax further, that hand can move. And that's a whole other thing in that's, hypnotherapy. That's a whole other thing. Now, I'm, I suspect this is stuff that you use in your work. Maybe someone's on the table, and, and you can speak this way just to help them sink into the table, let their nervous system. Well, on the, my table, most of what I'm just talking about with that kind of language, when I, when I get into it specifically, that hip, what they call a hypnotic pattern, they're in the they're in my they're in the chair. Okay, they're not even on the table yet. You're just getting them ready. When I have someone on the table, I join with them. I'll I'll, I'll move up. I'm sit I'm I'm sitting on a stool because I'm very lazy, and um, they're lying there. And the first thing I do, whether you see me one time or you see me a hundred times, I say, "May I have permission to touch you, please?" Mm. And they say, "Certainly," you know. And so generally what I'll do is... Now, why do you do that? Respect. Also, I don't know a person's background. You know, I, you know, I work with trauma and PTSD too. And so I'm respectful of someone's history. Just because someone hasn't told me that they'd gotten raped or they'd been uh, abused in some way, if they have, even if they haven't told me that, I have to... I don't know what's back there. And so... For me to get access to them on a cognitive level and an unconscious level, me sitting next to them, taking a nice few deep breaths. (sighs) May I have permission to touch you? 
And generally I'll rest my hand up on their shoulder and I'll have one hand on their forearm. And I'll just sit there for a moment, maybe two or three breaths and breathe with them. And then, you know, I'm going to, that's when I start. I say, I'm going to, I, I'm going to say, I say, I'm going to, I'm either going to ask them, say, may I have permission to touch your belly now? Or I'm going to touch your abdomen. And I do my abdominal diagnosis and I do the pulse and I might move down, you know, and get up and walk down the feet and just, you know, do a survey of the meridians and things like that. And then I'll come back and sit next to them. And so it's like a dance. And I got my tray with needles and moxa. And then I, I, I start. And generally, when I'm working, when we start the root treatment, I do, uh, generally we don't speak. And generally during the treatment, I don't want to speak much. And I, and, I, and I tell people, I say, I say, you know, if you need to say something or you, I say, if, you, if you're not comfortable, if you're not comfortable with what I'm doing, please say so and we will stop. That's a very important thing. That's another thing about asking permission to touch. Oh, and by the way, if what I'm doing brings up anything for you or you need to tell me to stop, feel free. Mm-hmm. So you know, those I are things really, that I use. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about beginning with, is it okay if I touch? I hadn't thought about that until we're having this conversation in this moment. I mean, I know it's on my, you know, official release form that they sign and blah, 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 that, you know, there's touch and this and that and needles and blah, blah, blah. But you actually be in the room, in the moment, and and just attentive. You know, would this be okay? I mean, it just brings up a step that I realize perhaps I have skipped. I'm really curious to see what it feels like to go back into my clinic and just and just bring that sensibility into it. How many people, women in particular, do you know who've gone into the, you know, the whole allopathic Western medical thing and they just assume that they can touch you and so they just start? It's like the majority of people, men and women, but I, I, I bring women up, um, me being a big guy, right? I really see, uh, seek to be respectful, kind and gentle. And that that's all part of it. And so when they say yes, they're saying yes cognitively, but on a deeper level, they are giving me permission from their unconscious mind, which is actually the autonomic nervous system, which we'll get into in a little bit. And so I just think it's a good practice for every practitioner. You don't assume you can touch anybody just because they're there to get treatment and paying you money. You don't assume that. That's arrogant, I think. Okay. And I'm arrogant. (laughs) Well, (laughs) you know, it's it's helpful to know what we is, right? You were talking earlier in this conversation about being able to sit in the room with somebody. And when you know who you are, because of the practices that you've done and you know what you bring to this and maybe even know what the, the things are you need to, to be watchful for in yourself when you're sitting with someone. I think that makes us safe to be with. Well, yeah. And that's the thing we were talking about earlier. As far as talking about Asian medicine, mm. acupuncture, everybody, you know, wants to talk about the chi. Hell, you know, I don't even know what that means anymore. Chi Chi is like, to me, it's a 
it's information. It's a in the body. I, I can look at somebody and say, okay, they're chi deficient. Okay, they're stagnant, stagnant. But what does that mean? What is really important is what is my intention? So when I'm working with a tation or I'm doing the work that I that I do, like with, you know, it's like it's my intention that informs everything that I'm doing. Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of yang, the primal reservoir of yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. I, I want to hear more about this. And, and here's why. When I hear the word intention, I often, the first thing that comes up is like, what are they talking about when they talk about intention? I've heard of people talk about, well, you know, it doesn't really matter where you put the needle. It's all about intention. And I'm thinking, well, that's, that's not true. I don't know what that means. <laughs> and then it's like, so like, and, and here's the other question that I've got about intention. Cause you know, I'm just this like hick from Missouri. Okay. So I didn't like, want to, I didn't want to say anything. Well, I know, I know, but it's, it's obvious. <laughs> well, I'm from Ohio. What the fuck? No, actually, so am I. But I, you know, I, I had the good sense to leave when I was 18 and I traveled the world. Yeah. And I, no, I left St. Louis when too. I was 18. Yeah. Right, right, right. But anyway. So the question, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. So back to intention. What's the difference yeah. between intention and wishful thinking? <laughs> I don't even think they're, you can't even compare that. They're not even in the same Wishful thinking. Yeah, wishful thinking. And, and, and here's why it's like I say that's it. like when someone comes in to me and says, "Well, I hope you can help me." I said, "Abandon all hope." <laughs> and I look at them with this stern look, and they're like, "What the hell?" No, it's like abandon all hope. Hope is this thing that keeps you from experiencing the moment. Oh, I hope I'm going to get. Oh, I hope. I said, "Yeah, faith is different than hope." And so when you talk about intention yeah i have i have help coined, me out here brother i have coined this phrase your attention mm. guides your intention or you could say you know your intention guides your attention that's probably more succinct the intention comes from a deep part of knowing and that comes from skill acquired over time it comes from practice mm. it comes from knowing your own suffering it comes from doing your own personal work whether that's 
you know, doing psychotherapy, Zazen. You know, I do hospice work, too, as a way to keep death on my shoulder, right? Mm. And to keep me present to that. So all of those things have a way of helping me drop what's not essential. Because, I, you know, early on, and I was terribly, terribly wounded in my life and in a lot of my um, bringing, upbringing and through the world. And luckily I knew I, I, I needed help. And that's, you know, I started doing psychotherapy. And then I always had that interest in, in 68, I started doing martial arts, which is something that's moved through my life, doing a lot of psychedelics, smoking a lot of pot, uh, the whole late 60s, 70s, living in North Africa for five or six years and traveling around the world. All of those, you know, I was a hunter-gatherer of experiences. Mm. And so that tapestry of those experiences that I digested and brought inside kept me seeking, kept me uh, wanting to compost the dross that was inside of me so that I could spread that shite over my life and grow beautiful things, which I have. Okay. So does that make sense? Let me, let me give back to you where I'm getting from this. Intention is a kind of distillation of experience over time, a distillation of experience and skill that helps to inform how you do the work that you do. That that's part of it. And you know, it's so beautiful what you just said. And you said that very nicely, very eloquently. I think there's actually an aspect of intention that is, that's beyond words. You can't speak about it. What I've said with though, this is the pointer of what the ingredients might be of intention. But I think intention comes from, comes, it's that Wu way kind of thing where it, it it just is. And I think you can plug into that. You can increase that. You know, like for instance, in between clients, a lot sometimes I'll take my Tai Chi ruler and I'll do my Tai Chi ruler. Because what am I doing? Well I don't even know what a Tai Chi ruler is. Well, did were you ever raised by nuns? No, that was a joke. That was that's a rule getting I'm Jewish. Hit. I'm Jewish. Oh. I'm gonna be raised by nuns. Oh, <laughs> So a Tai Chi ruler is not like a ruler where nuns hit you over the knuckles. No, it's it's wow. much different. It's it, a Tai Chi ruler is this beautiful piece of wood. Maybe it's about a foot, and they're they're really eloquently designed, and they're there's like a like a slim cylinder, and you put them between you know pericardium eight, you know like right, and you're you're doing a movement, your whole it, you're doing like a movement where you're just moving your hands. And there are different types of movements, but the connection between um, pericardium eight so is, is is huge because I'm drawing the chi up as I'm doing this, drawing the chi up through yang chuan into the dantian, up into the chest, out into the hands, and then also down from the heavens into the font, my vertical axis. So I've got all this movement going on. So with the hands like that, think about when someone's on a table, my left OSHA day has the needle, my right hand 
so when my focus of my intention is like that with the Yoshiday and this other in the other hand, here's pericard. This is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you see how and so the chi that circulates in me, like the microcosmic orbit or whatever, mm-hmm. that energy is active because my intention is right there on my hands. Got it. And that practice of the Tai Chi ruler strengthens that. Is now, that- is this an actual like physical manifesting like 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 a piece of wood or it is, it is a piece of wood so, so it's actually a piece of wood it's not like a metaphorical pretend you have a ruler here it, it's something that you actually can feel sensate in a kind of yes like, I'm, I'm, oh, yeah I'm, yeah I'm, yeah I'm taking a pen right now that's on my desk and putting it between my pericardium eights just to see what that feels like it's like oh well that brings a kind of focus to the system so what do we talk about you know uh what how what is that uh mind guides the chi chi mm-hmm, mm-hmm. guides the blood blood nourishes the chi right and so that whole thing is there you know mm-hmm. and i spent a lot of years doing xing yi and baguan and uh tai chi chuan uh doing those internal arts and so that's all about the movement of the internal right so back to intention for I just I want to circle mm. around this again. This is this is one of these things that in in the entire time that I've practiced I've always had kind of a it's like I don't understand. I don't quite get it. I hear people talk about it. And and and, and when I hear people bring up intention, you know, a lot of folks, you know, I like watch people around me because you know, I'm a social animal and people are kind of nodding their heads sagely. I'm going, "What the fuck are they talking about?" So it's really helpful to have this moment with you to look into this sense of intention is something that comes out of our experience or is it still composted experience? It does. And again, it's beyond words. It's beyond not to sound too woo woo, but you know, it's no, no, you know, you're sounding more woo way, really. You know, you can talk about spirit and what enlivens the flesh that in, you know, that intention. So, Yeah. Well, this is another one. You bring, this is you just brought up another one of the words. I had no idea the conversation was going here, but here we are. So when I hear the word spirit, also, that's another one of those where I'm like, "What are we talking about?" It's like there's this word that goes out, you know. And it's like we're supposed to know what we're talking about, but I, I suspect spirit could mean something different to you know most people. And it, and it, it's one of these terms like intention. It gets thrown around a lot in our particular trade. And yet, almost like the word racism these days. Oh, God, I didn't even want to go there, but okay, here I am. I mean, there's so many words. I mean, it it doesn't matter, right? It could be something from popular culture. It could be something like this from Chinese medicine. And and there are these words. There are these ideas. They are vast. And like you said, there's an aspect of them that's like beyond words. And yet we're living here in the realm of words, and we use them. And communication is important. It's part of why we're having this conversation. And yet sometimes there are these terms and they are so multifaceted. So, yeah. So, okay. Spirit. Mm. Right. Was it? I can't remember which teacher. Maybe it was Dr. Ma. Might've been Dr. Ma. Anyways, he says, not only treat, not only treat body must treat spirit too. That stuck with me. And that's why, well, that's one of the reasons why uh, when I was looking for something else to, besides doing acupuncture and shiatsu, my treatments always, always, it always boiled down to with a lot of people with a lot of, 
emotional stuff came up. And I always paid attention to treating Shen. Well, so we know the traditional meaning and definition of Shen. And so the whole thing with NLP and language and all of this, you know, my question is, is, well, who is it that's presenting in front of me? Who is this? What are they not telling me? <laughs> no, I, mean, I hold that question. Mm-hmm. What are they, no, not, I, I, what I are think, they not telling me? I, I think that's a really powerful question. It's a powerful perception. And, and, and so I'm always thinking about that. Well, who is this? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then I'm thinking as I get in, as we get into this dance of language and talking and I'm doing my intake to get, to get information about whatever it is they've brought me, I'm asking, I'm thinking to myself, what's the one question that I can ask that's going to bring about the biggest change? What's that one question that's going to unlock that door and go, ah, and you can apply that same thinking to, as you know, when you treat somebody and you, you we, we can get into diagnosis and the label of what that means. There may be, there may be like four or five different ways we can approach somebody and get reasonably good uh, results. But what's that one, what's that precise key that's going to unlock that door that's going to really bring about a change that I I can facilitate because I am not a healer. I am a facilitator. Don't call me a healer. My ego's big enough as it is. Well, one of the great things about medicine is your ego will take a beating. It'll take a beating. It's, it's gonna, it'll, it'll take a whooping, man. Yeah, you know that's why I like that's why I like the whole Buddhist thing. That's why you know my my teacher Harada Roshi said, "Ah, not knowing is most intimate." And I spend my most of my time being most intimate because I don't know. <laughs> I mean, think about it. When we first gra- when you first got out of school, you know, you could treat anything, do anything. I'm happy to say now that I know very little about anything, which really what that means is I don't have the preconceptions about this is this and that's that going on. Well, maybe it is. Does one and one equal two? Maybe could equal three. It takes a long time to, um, at least for me, it's taken a long time to appreciate, get a taste for and sense of how to use the various models of thinking that Chinese and East Asian medicine gives us. And then just kind of let it go and see what's actually there. I was going to say your question here about who is this person in front of me? I would say that is one of the key things that guides me in my clinic every day. It's, it's, it, it's not enough that, oh, they got this back pain or they got this or they got that. For me, the question is always, who is it? Who is this person who has this thing that drove them to come see an acupuncturist? Right. And, and you were just bringing up diagnosis. I want to get into this for a moment because people come in and I usually start very much like you. Hi, how, you know, how are you doing? How things been going? How can I be helpful? And often what I'll get is, well, you know, I'm a blah, blah patient or I have a diagnosis of this or that. And they come in talking about the label that's been put on them. Where they become that label. I was going to say a label that's been put on them that they have taken on as identity. Yeah. So they come in with that diagnosis and the diagnosis is helpful. And sometimes with some people, oh, now I know what's going on. Right. 
And so when one comes in to me with a diagnosis, I usually say, well, what meaning have you made of that? They go, what? I say, well, they've given you this diagnosis. I said, what, what informs you? What, what meaning have you made of this? And I start, that starts to open up the uh, weave of how, what do they make meanings of in their lives, right? Because if outside of ourselves, there is no meaning to anything outside ourselves. We are meaning makers. We bestow meaning on things in our world. And yes, we can, uh, we can agree that this is a, a glass with liquid in it, you know, we're sitting here having a conversation. I've got a headphone. I have headphones on. We agree on these things. But when you have somebody, when they've been given a diagnosis, you know, I like, I like to ask, what is it? What meaning? What does that mean to you? Well, am I going to die? Well, yes, eventually. That's the good news. That's the only thing you know to be true, right? So take solace in that. No, I'm just, but what meaning do they make about that? And what informs you that you have this? How do you know that you have Parkinson's mm -hmm. disease? Well, I've got a tremor and I shuffle. I said, oh, you've got those symptoms. Okay. And so now I've, I've, I've separated them from the symptom. I said, do you remember a time when you didn't have that? And we, we talk about that, you know. I said, so, so how do you see yourself? And I'll, I'll use the word, how do you see yourself moving forward? <laughs> Nice suggestion there, Dr. Claire. I mean, I'll say that. I'll say, how do you see yours? You know, and they'll, and they'll either chuckle or laugh or they'll mm -hmm. get what I'm saying, what I'm hinting at. And what are you expecting here? How will you know that you've gotten what you've wanted when we're finished? And they said, well, can you help me? I have no idea if I can help you. I don't know. And I said, well, and then I kind of laugh. I said, well, that leaves me with the field of all possibilities. Not knowing is most intimate. This uh, question that you just brought up, how will you know that you've gotten what you wanted? Oof. That's... Yeah, is it, is it going to be just an alleviation of symptoms, right? Is that all you're looking for here? Just an alleviation to make the symptoms go away? Or with chronic illness, you know, like someone who's down the road with MS or Parkinson's, you know, we can make their lives a little easier, right? where they can have more of a more of a day that's comfortable than not. And you know, and I have these conversations with people. They say, "Oh, here's what I here's here's what my intention is and here's how we're here's how I would like to work with you with this." And how do you feel about that? You need to be here 10 sessions once a week. Very seldom do I see anybody twice a week. I mean, if they're in acute phase, or, a, or an acute chronic phase, I'll see them twice a week for maybe three weeks, and then I'll reevaluate them. But generally, I only see people once a week. Again, that question of how will you know that you've gotten what you wanted is so powerful. I mean, not just in, in, the, in the context of clinic. I'm just thinking like in so many different aspects of life. That's a juicy one. That's a juicy one. It's like, how come high school English teachers aren't asking their students to, you know, write about that? <laughs> you know, it's a great question. How will you know? So 
when I see somebody who's coming in for behavioral change or behavioral work where I'm either doing somatic experiencing because they've experienced trauma and PTSD and they've got something going on, or if they're coming in for hypnotherapy for something, I use what, we, what I call a well-formed outcome. And so the well-formed outcome is like this. So, okay, so you're going to go to China next week right? What's that entail? Well, that entails, first of all, booking the flight, booking travel, all of that stuff, heading to the airport, going from point A to point B to point C, right? So when I do a well-formed outcome, and I do abbreviated form of that one with acupuncture patients, but this is more, again, to get at the inner landscape of a person and figure out what their thought virus is, <laughs> Mm -hmm. That lovely thought virus. I, mean, I love We're living that. with it. And so, uh, so I'll ask, so they, they have to fill out this form and they usually hate it because how, so what do you want? Why are you here? Well, well, Randy, I, I don't want to smoke. Oh, okay. I get it. Well, what do you want? And they look at me. I just said, I don't want to smoke. I said, I got it. What do you want? Because the unconscious mind will not process a negative. So couldn't, wouldn't, shouldn't, don't. The unconscious mind, if you say, I don't want to smoke. If you take the negative off, I do want to smoke. The unconscious mind does not process negatives. And so when I say, I say, well, you've just told me what you don't want. What do you want? Oh, I want to be free of tobacco products. Excellent. What's keeping you from having that desired change? What's keeping you from that? What are you going to have to give up that you deem important to get this change? What will happen if you get this change? What won't happen? These are Cartesian questions, by the way. What won't happen if you don't get it? What won't happen if you do get it? You see how that really... So this is to suss out deep structure to figure out because you can't leave on this journey of quote-unquote change if you don't know where you're going or what you want. So that's what a well-formed outcome does. It gives them an expectation of this is the, this is the, these are the guides, guide signs on the way. What I'll do when I put someone in trance, I'll generally use a lot of what they've put me on the well-formed outcome, and I feed it back to them as positive suggestions and metaphors. Because the unconscious mind learns through metaphor. I, I want to come back to this this state of trance in a moment. Okay. But I first want to hear more about somatic experiencing. I don't know much about it other than I've talked to a number of people recently. And this is something that comes up. It's, it's like something I'm becoming aware of. It's out there. It's a, it's a kind of work. It, it It's helpful for trauma is my understanding. But I it don't is. know. Trauma, PTSD, and a few other things. It was developed by Peter Levine, who was a he's a he's a great therapist. Uh, he's got several doctorates, but it grew out of um, animals, the studies of animals and animal behavior. We are mammals, right? And so let me let me give an example here about this when. 
you have you know you have a bunch of you have a bunch of gazelle on the um savannah and they're all you know eating and they look they they um they go down they're eating then they raise their head back up and they're gazing and looking around then they go down they're just looking around hanging out and then all of a sudden they see it there's a cheetah one one gazelle alerts on it now it's starting its autonomic nervous system now is activated and then all the 199 all look at it too so everybody they're still in kind of a little they're they're starting to the nervous system is getting primed the sympathetic nervous system right the cheetah charges they all take off so now they're in full-born uh you know experience they have an experience of unease they're they're taken off they're in fight or flight fight or flight well the cheetah has really zeroed in on one gazelle and he overcomes the gazelle well at that moment the gazelle is not in in that vent in that sympathetic nervous system activated like that anymore it goes into a dorsal vagal state which is a freeze state and you go into a freeze state to stop predation what does that mean the predator predation predation and so to stop from being eaten alive stop from being eaten alive so you they all yeah and so yes they may defecate their heart you know everything shuts down and you know big cats like that they like fresh kill and sometimes, you know, sometimes when this happens, they will go off and get their brood or the other, you know, cats to come back to the kill or they'll drag the kill a certain distance and then go off and then come back. Well, when the danger is gone, the gazelle will get up and it'll shake and, ju- and ju- it just shakes and shakes and shakes and it takes off. Human beings don't do that because the neocortex overrides that primal shaking but i people people on the, on a the table when i'm working with them when they start to uh, come out of certain states they'll start to shake and i encourage i say shake shake because that discharges that brings the system back online again i i think i get it because the nervous system if it's gone into that free state and it doesn't come all the way out then then an aspect of that free state perseverance somatic experiencing is a way to bring somebody back into their experience through sensation because the below the surface the autonomic nervous system is pendulating between parasympathetic sympathetic parasympathetic that's normal when you have a trauma people can get stuck you know in the sympathetic you know where you have a high sympathetic tone you're hypervigilant you don't sleep much. You're always on guard. You've got, you know, tachycardia. You hyperventilate sometimes in worst case scenarios. The dorsal state is, is is if you've gone up over threshold. You've gone up over the sympathetic, right, and into the dorsal vagal system. So what guides my work um, in that way is Stephen Porges's polyvagal theory, where we're talking about the vagus nerve, which this ties right into acupuncture. I mean, uh, uh, particularly in Kiko style, there's, you know, really uh, elegant treatment to, to treat adrenal exhaustion. 
And so having this lens of the polyvagal theory and the, um, the, the whole vagus complex gives me another lens to look at somebody when I'm treating them with acupuncture. So, you know, kidney 27 tight is kidney 16 tight. Do they have this going? So, you know, is what's their kidney pulse? Well, let's say it's, it's not there. So putting that all together, you know, you, you could say that, okay, there's, there's adrenal exhaustion here. Here's how we treat this. But SE also has table work where you're laying your hands on someone. And people who, who you know, it looks like cranial sacral work. It's not. But this brings me into another thing I want to comment on. When you have your hands on somebody like that, we're being mammals. So we got this mammalian hookup, right? Now, are you, have you heard of heart math? I have. Okay, so I practice heart math. And so bringing myself into coherence, mm-hmm. I can put my hands on somebody and just sit there and put myself in coherence. And I can lead them. I can lead their system into coherence. And when that happens, it's usually this deep belly breath comes through like, <sighs> and I'll ask, well, what are you noticing right now? What are you feeling? Oh, I feel, feel that. I said, well, why don't you just take your attention right now and just put your attention just on that sensation and just kind of track it like you would an animal. See what it wants to do. Don't try to make anything happen. Don't try to stop anything from happening. And I'll say, well, it's this beautiful, warm feeling in my belly. And I said, well, what, what are you noticing about that? Well, it's starting to spread up into my chest. I said, oh, that's right. Good. So just continue to track it for a few more moments. And I'll be quiet for 30 seconds a minute, which is really hard for me to do. <laughs> Blabber mouth. That's where the practice comes in, isn't it? I mean, I have found that that many times silence is the most powerful thing. I will sometimes ask a question or leave a space. And I am not kidding you. I have to put my tongue in between my teeth and put a little pressure on it so that I won't talk. So I can just silence work. Right, right, right. Yeah, I learned I learned that from my wife, Deborah, who you know. You know, she's very she's an introvert, very quiet, but she carries a big stick, right? But she was she was an investigator for King County Hazardous Waste, and she told me that she said, she said, Randy, she goes, how would you like to have a nice cup of shut the fuck up? Because you're talking too much. She said, the thing is, you want to ask a question, step back and look for the reaction. Step, ask the question, and then just sit back and enjoy what the reaction is or is not going to be. Mm -hmm. Right. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. 
Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jing well points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Yeah, and I've heard it this way. There's a, I read a great book about negotiation from an FBI hostage negotiator, Chris Voss. And uh, which actually has some really helpful stuff for just doing interviewing in Mm -hmm. general. And he often talks about, he says, let the silence work, right? You put it out there and then shut up. Let the silence do its thing, right? Exactly. See, that, and that's taken me a long time to kind of get that. To let that silence just be big and broad, Mm -hmm. right? Because within that silence, yeah, I mean, case in point, I'm working with a gentleman who is in his 70s, and he has some issues about authority. Imagine that at 70, right? It's tough when you have issues about authority when you are the authority. (laughs) Yeah. And so um, I don't know, and this was intuition, but when he sat down, I just sat there. And I didn't have any kind of menacing look. I just sat there and I just looked at him. I didn't say a word. I just sat there. It's not your usual style. Well, something he said that when he left the office last time, I thought, oh, I need to make a note of this. And so before he came in, I was looking at his file. I said, oh, that, okay. And so I just sat there and just looked at him. At his words out of his mouth, he said, I just feel like I want to get the fuck out of here. I I went, indeed you do. (laughs) And then of course that, and I said, yeah, I started laughing. I said, indeed you do. And maybe you should. And that laughter, because there was, he's seen me, he's trust me. And we, so, you know, but that I activated him through something that he had told me about that I remembered that was this kind of thread that's run through some of our therapy. And so I decided to manifest it in front of him and see what happened. There it is. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, it was like, I want to get the fuck out of here. And there was laughter. There was, and that brought up laughter. Yes. Well, as soon as I looked at him and I kind of went, indeed you do. And maybe you should. And I leaned over the table at him. Right. And was there laughter after that? Oh yeah. Okay. So I'm just thinking about something. We could use that piece. See, I, we can use that piece. I said, so what were you thinking when I was sitting there not saying anything? How did that feel? Where did you notice that? He goes, my throat got really tight. I felt like I had iron bands down my flanks Mm. and I was ready for anything. And I'm like, exactly. He says, but I have this and I never act on it. I said, yeah, it's impotent rage. Yeah, you've got the rage, but it's turned inside. And thank God it's not turned outside. Mm-hmm. And I said, so so how, how you know, so he got, I, get, I was able to manifest a lesson to him. This is what this is, and this is what brought this. And I said, where have you seen that before? My father. I said, yeah, 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 right. We get, I get that. 
think you said, damn you. (laughs) (laughs) Many times people say, damn you, when they're actually saying they're so relieved. But people who, people who come to see me, they want to work. If they don't, I fire them. I don't have time to mess around. So you were talking about shaking and how it's an important part of discharge discharge and taking a, a mammal out of the state of freeze and back into that pendulum swing of sympathetic sympathetic parasympathetic sympathetic yeah. so uh, a couple things first of all I, I think we actually do know this because it's in our language right if someone has like a bad experience and it's it's kind of mucked them up what are the words of encouragement that you often hear you hear the words, hey, man, shake it off. <laughs> move on. Shake it off. Get past it. Well, d- move on, get past it is a different mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, shake it off. But yeah. Shake it I off. hear what you're saying. Yeah. Shake it off. It's there. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, and the other thing that just occurred to me as we're having this conversation, I have often felt a little guilty in my practice because, you know, it's about medicine and it's serious business and all that. But there's often a lot of laughter in my clinic. There's a lot of what? A lot of laughter. There's a lot of laughter. I would hope so. Um, A lot of tears, but a lot of laughter as well. And and there was was a period of time where I felt a little guilty about it. It's like, man, shouldn't I be a little more serious? I mean, we're talking cancer here. Um, And yet there's laughter. And it occurs to me that laughter, a really good laugh, will make you shake. It will shake you. Laughter promotes all kinds of wonderful chemical cocktails in your head. Endorphin, serotonin, dopamine. I'm I'm thinking that shaking piece. I'm I'm suddenly thinking about that shaking piece. And it's, uh, you know, again, I often have these kinds of conversations on the podcast and somebody will say something. I'll go, ooh, I'm going to go look for that in my clinic. Next time this comes up in my clinic, I'm going to look at it with some slightly different eyes. If it happens, it doesn't happen readily or all the time. If someone, and generally it's someone, someone's coming out when they start to get regulated and they start to develop resilience because there, there are past um, behaviors, self-defensive behaviors, like somebody who was driving a car and they had a collision and their hands are on the wheel. Well, when they're speaking to me and they're telling me the story, they're going like this. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, the hand. And so when I'm doing therapy with them, I will say, I want you to make that thing with your hands again. And I want you to just do it real slowly with mindfulness, pushing those hands out like it's a steering wheel, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, now go ahead and rest them in your lap. Now tell me, what are you noticing is going on when you did that? And it activates them. Oh, my heart, my heart rate. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling this. I've got tunnel vision. That's right. Now, are you able to just sit there now and just be with that for a moment and just follow it? It's like a wave that's coming through. Mm-hmm. And they'll sit there and I'll, and I'll teach, you know, I teach them orient, what we call orientation, which is has to do with the eyes and connecting with your environment, orientation. But I'm always trying, I'm always, initially, I start out with pleasure, what I call landing in blue, where the, you orientate toward pleasure, non-addictive pleasure, but pleasure. Mm. Because we all have the red, what I call the red habit of noticing everything that's wrong. (laughs) And so 
to develop resilience. And when I know that someone's going to have to unpack some pretty nasty stuff that happened to them either in childhood or some kind of traumatic, because I, I work with, um, I've worked with F, uh, war vets from Afghanistan and Iraq. And so, you know, who've, who've experienced and seen things. And when it's time to unpack that stuff, you want to have a lot of pleasure in blue in their bank account. So they're developing resiliency so that they have a safe container for that stuff to come out in so that it can be looked at, processed, and given a resting place. People say, oh, I think I thought I already went through that. I got rid of that. Well, where's it going to go? That's, that's, a, that's, you know, that's not language. What'll happen is you digest and compost something mm -hmm. and it finds a resting place. It's not something to be getting rid, gotten rid of. Even the darkest, smelliest stuff you got is part of who you are. And it goes into the ingredients of who you are. The thing I got with a lot of Westerners and New Agers is everything has to be light, vegan, blah, blah, blah. You know, all this stuff about, oh, bring in the light. Well, the truth is really in the darkness. You know, this whole thing about wanting to be in the light and all that stuff. It's, I'm sorry, but it's overrated. You find the truth in the dark night of the soul. When you're on a dark night of the soul, you know you're on pay dirt. And then you can orient toward a brighter future, right? So you just said something here that it kind of goes beyond words, but I'm going to do my best to grab some words to, you know, sort of try to give it some shape. The thing about the dark stuff that happens. Mm-hmm. Because I've had this in the back of my mind, and this is this is kind of the like mythos that I've uh, like lived through. That there's this stuff that you know we can take it and somehow transform it, and then we get rid of it, like we can poop it out. And what I was just hearing you say is, we take it, we compost it, we kind of distill it, and it becomes part of who we are. We don't get rid of it, but it becomes a part of who we are that adds to our resiliency, our anti-fragileness, our ability to attend and attend. A, resi a resiliency, mm -hmm. that's, that's very well said. I, I, how I explain it to people, and I excuse me for my language, but I said, you know, all of us have a bag of shit that we carry around that was handed off to us as a terrible gift from our family of origin or whoever else it was. I call it a terrible, they go, well, why do you call it a terrible gift? I said, it only becomes a gift should you choose to engage it. You can compost the shite that's in that bag. And once you compost it, you spread it out over your life and then you grow beautiful things. So why would you want to get rid of it? It's an ingredient. I'm thinking about Thai fish sauce. That stinky, smelly, fermented, mm. nasty. That stuff is we like nasty, it. right? We Denise like it. would say, that stuff is nasty. And yet, a little bit of it in a stew or a little bit of it in a stir, you know, just a little bit of it, it makes everything else really come to life. So, you know, the thing that we, you know, like where I'm doing acupuncture hypnotherapy or SE or the other stuff that I do. 
the thing I'm looking at and wondering about is, who does this person love most in the world? And I'll, I mean, I ask that question sometimes when it's appropriate. So who is it that you love most in the world? Oh, let me see my mom, my dad. Oh, oh the dog. Is that what you want to hear? I, I, she, oh, oh, you want me to say me. Mm-hmm. I said, I want you to say what's truth to your, what you think. Because m- many of us, I mean, many of us, it's sad to say that I love, I love me most in the world. I want to be able to cross my hands on my chest when I'm taking my last breath and say to myself, Randy, this was a really good one. Thank you. And then take my leave. This was a really good one. You know, I, I'm constantly processing and composting the, the mountain of rage that I've sat on in my life. It, I keep it company. I'm, I invite the demons in for tea now. I don't fight with them anymore. I've gotten a little smarter. But that's, you know, like I've, I've I started um, working and practicing um, Stoicism, right? Being the Stoic. And that's a really, really good way. Stoicism is a—it's an ancient philosophy, but it's not—it's more than a philosophy. It's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's a plan of action. It's like a tool in your tool chest that will help you be a better person. Don't believe everything you think. One aspect of Stoicism is they talk about many things, but they talk about the externals. And so when we talk about the externals. Well, we have preferences, we have attachments. So I, I presume you preferred to have Joe Biden and the Democrats elected than you did 45, right? Yeah, that was your preference. How attached are you to that? If 45 stole the election and we had four more years of that, is that going to be enough to throw you off your equanimity? Is that going to be something that is going to destroy your joy and be a, be something you're going to have to contend with and make a bunch of story about and then say, oh, I'm so stressed out. Oh, I'm this, I'm that. If you voted the right way, you did everything you could do, called your representative, everything, it's out of your hands. So why give it another thought? Unfortunately, modern people think a stoic is someone with no emotion. No, it's not about that at all. It's about useful mindfulness in emotion. It's not about indulging or projecting, oh, I'm worried about this is going to happen, that's going to happen, this and that. And it, pretty soon you're taken down the rabbit hole and you lose, the pre- you lose your presence of yourself. It sounds like it rhymes with zen. You just took the words out of my mouth. It's exactly. In fact, my, wife's, my wife hates zen. And my wife. In her own way, she is that without even knowing it. And she said, Oh, this is really great. This is this is this is sort of Zen without being Zen. <laughs> she really hates she does not like Zen Buddhism at all. But that's another story for another time. But she really turned me on to this uh stoic. And so I've started journaling. I've started because I've got my thoughts and things in my mind at times. When that wind starts to blow, if I'm not mm. mindful and I'm distracted, it'll take me down the rabbit hole. And pretty soon, you know, I'm raging at this or self-talk is this. 
You know, you got to watch out for that Drayian wind, man. It can like blow you completely off your center. You know, I say to myself, is this useful or is it not useful? Oh, it's unuseful. Do I need to do this? Is this outside of my control? It is. Well, then it doesn't affect me if it's outside of my control. It's like having that choice to make and having the, being able to have that space, that breath before you (laughs) go down the rabbit hole is important. Because then you have a choice to say, okay, I'm going to make myself really miserable right now. Or I'm going to maintain my equilibrium and know that that's just a thought virus from a long time ago. And that thought virus has no effect on me now whatsoever. I really appreciate the distinction here between preferences and attachment. And attachment. Yeah. Yeah. What are we attached to? That's really helpful. Preferences? Yeah, we all got preferences. We're individual, unique creatures. We got certain things we like and we don't like. Are we so attached Uh, that it knocks us off our center? mm -hmm. I mean, that's the biggest thing, you know, like with COVID. Well, let me give you an example. Let me just give you an example real quick. And then I want to hear about COVID. But I'm just thinking my wife is a tremendous cook and I love it when she makes me a ribeye steak. Oh, yum. My preference is for big, fatty, juicy ribeye. Yes. Really is. She makes the best in town, man. She like pan griddles, you know. Oh, okay. But sometimes she's serving me some like tofu and vegetable thing. (laughs) My preference is the ribeye. Honey, we're having vegetarian tonight. Well, my preference is a ribeye. But you know what? I'm going to enjoy whatever she puts down on the table. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's the freedom of knowing about preference and mm-hmm. attachment because you have. Oh, I can put some fish sauce on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now you want you want me to comment on what you said something. You were saying something about COVID. Oh yeah, wants to talk about that. The the whole COVID thing. What we've been in this COVID thing for nine months. I haven't stopped working. I continue to work. I see post COVID patients, and as of next week, I've got one day devoted that I'm gifting frontline workers at Harborview and uh, Virginia Mason, doctors and nurses are going to come to my clinic and I'm devoting one day of gifting them treatments, you know, either acupuncture, acupressure or whatnot uh, to alleviate, you know, to, to serve that community. And it's the behavior that we see with human beings. It's been fascinating for me to, observe our fellow citizenry, you know, I mean, you know, the, the trauma of, you know, Trump trauma, uh, you know, the COVID and isolation, it really, you know, and then people having to sit in front of computers, which really dysregulates the nervous system, by the way, I don't know if you knew that, the pixelation of your computer screen disturbs your autonomic nervous system. And so think about, you know, people being, fear in fear they're in front of a screen all day they're looking at their phones how often are they like looking down into their chest saying well hey randy how's your heart doing how are you feeling today mm-hmm. or just looking outside their window like i'm doing right now or looking outside your window which is a good way to mm-hmm. orient and bring your mm-hmm. attention back and people are it's sad to say that a lot of people are really lost to themselves today. They have trouble being alone because they're always distracted. Randy, is it any different now than it has been at any other point 
in our in our time as as human beings. Is it? How yep. different? Yep, it is. Because 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 we got we're looking at each other. You and I are able to do this now because mm-hmm. of technology. We have phones. How many times? Where are you when, when you're sitting there out looking? What are people doing? Are they looking out and looking up? No, they're looking at their palm. You know, they've they've got this um, you know, this pocket aura. The pocket. I like that pocket aura. But 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 I'm not talking about technology. Let me let me reframe that. Are people not? People are more connected with themselves in the past than they are now. This whole thing with technology and the computer and virtual this, virtual that. Um, what do you call it? Uh, AI. All of that takes us outside of ourselves. When you had quiet time, when you go outside and play by a creek like I did as a little boy or run through the woods, play an army, you have to work right now at holding your center. People got to work at it. And if you're not working at it, you're going to be taken downstream or down the rabbit hole. Well, I get get that. And I think with the technology, especially – if we're not in touch with our natural environment, it, it, yes, it's dysregulating. The reason that I bring up is, is now different than before because we have things like stoicism, you know, perspectives like stoicism, we have perspectives like Zen and they're not new. It's not like, Oh, we have this new way of dealing with human beings being dysregulated. No, human beings have been dysregulated since thousands of years ago. And people have been talking about this and we have methods for, recalibrating and they come from long traditions i would agree with part of that i would agree with some of that for sure but i i think this thing about dysregulation we're dysregulated now most of the time and it takes work for one to hold their center and when i say that to somebody i I said what are you doing to support your center your root and so what, what's, your, what's your practice? It could be, you know, like with me here in my studio, you know, I've got instruments to play, play music, do what I do. I cook. My life has changed very little in this environment other than I'm not out playing music, you know, downtown, you know, two or three nights a week anymore. But my life has changed very little in COVID. And I continue my practices. Deborah's home working now, and it's a joy to have her out back in the tea house. She goes out at seven, comes in at three. I start dinner when I see my last patient, which is usually five or six. And we spend the evening doing whatever. You know, I understand people. Oh, I can't go home and see grandma. Oh, I can't go home and see this or that. And I said, it's it's terrible that people are being stressed in that way and denied these things. However, you don't want COVID. I'm treating post-COVID patients I'm treating people who've had this, so you don't want to get it. You know, and the people who don't want to wear masks and all this idiocy. It's it's interesting uh, how the whole thing about being our brothers and sisters keeper and caring for others. You know, the, our whole, the, our citizen, a lot of our citizens, this whole sense of freedom, our sense of uh, lacking a responsibility, the sense of entitlement is rampant. Someone says, well, you're, you're, you're taking away my freedom. How is wearing a piece of cloth on your face taking away your freedom? And I always tell them, I, I've confronted some of these people. I said, freedom requires great responsibility. 
it, yeah, there is that other side of it. There is that other side of it. Well, usually these things go up for an hour, right up to an hour and 20 minutes. Well, I'm kind of a bag of hot air. Well, you know, I, it's, it's like hanging out at your place and having a barbecue. I have some things to say. You know, it's really, it's really beautiful being in this forum with you because I look at the cats and the men and women who've come here before me, you know, uh, Bob Quinn, uh, you know, some of the people, you know, Bensky, uh, some of the people you've interviewed and to be in, be here with those types of folks, I'm, I'm very humbled. Uh, you know, I look at, you know, Stephen Brown. I haven't had Stephen Brown on yet. I got to get, can you help me get Stephen Brown on the podcast? And Ed, Ed and Koviak, you know, these are all cats. All of these people who are teaching. I just never went that route. You know, I, I just got my head down in the trenches doing what I'm doing. So this is what I love about the podcast. And this is why I think the podcast might be helpful to people because, well, I, you know, I'm just sitting here at the Geological International Headquarters with a microphone and you never know where it's going to go or how it's received or how it might be helpful, right? It's it's an asynchronous communication. I'm not in front of other people when they listen to it. So, you know, there's always that question mark. I'm hoping it's helpful. But one of the things that I know for myself and that I hope comes through with this is that while at times I do talk to luminaries in the field, and, and that's always a delight and a privilege, what's even a bigger privilege, I think, is to be able to talk to people like yourself and so many of the people on the podcast, nobody has ever heard of them. And the reason that no one has ever heard of them is you're, you know, we're, you're just in your practice doing your work, like you're in your workshop and just doing the work. And there's all these practitioners who are learning from the medicine as it unfolds in their experience. And, and I'm, I'm always so grateful that people take a little bit of time and share their experience that way. Because most of us acupuncturists are very much lone wolves. We're working alone in our clinics. We don't, you know, once we leave student clinic, we don't really get to see how other people are working and thinking and being with their patients. And and, and I, I hope the podcast is an opportunity That's true. to yeah. share that aspect of who we are and what we do with each other because there are things that we just learn through our experience that, you know, that distillation, that composting that you've talked about. And uh, it's not so often we get a chance to share it with each other. Well, my friend, thank you for taking the time today and sharing your experience with us. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. One of the things I miss about living in Seattle is the opportunity to hang out in person with people like Randy, drink some fine pura tea and slow roast some ribs on the barbecue. Lucky for us, we have the magic of the internet. And so I hope you have enjoyed this conversation and found some places in your clinical practice where you might use some of the perspectives that we touched on in today's conversation. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.